Hello and welcome to the Campaign Podcast. My name is Matt Barker, I'm the Features Editor of Campaign and I'm joined here today in sun-kissed downtown Twickenham by campaign reporters Shauna Lewis. Hello Shauna. Hi Matt. And Charlotte Rawlings. Hello Charlotte. Hello. Later we're going to be hearing from Campaign Tech Editor Cole Cripps as she discusses all things AR. AR, I sound like one of the Wurzels there, so you'll have to Google Wurzels later. They were kind of like the K-pop of their day. Um, <laughs> But first, we're going to have a quick chat about some of the latest stories on the campaign site that have caught our eyes. Um, I've been away the past week, so I'm even more woefully ignorant about what's been happening than normal. But Charlotte, you worked on our most recent question of the week, asking whether it's time for Adlan to stop using outdoor mock-ups. This was all prompted in part by a fake L'Oreal video featuring huge eyelashes and a tube train that went viral last month, uh, as well as Uncommon Creative's controversial mocked-up BA Outdoor ad at Glastonbury, wasn't it? I said Glastonbury wasn't actually there, was it? Yeah, and this is the issue at hand. Um, But yeah, I did. There's been a few instances lately where we've seen some incredible creative ideas, um, but we found out later that they haven't actually been executed in real life and have just been put together using mock-ups. And this might be because agencies don't have the time, money or the resources to actually go through with the idea. Um, But the idea is almost too good to waste, so they go ahead with it in an easier way, maybe. Um, In the case of the L'Oreal video where there were two actually, um, it was a tube train and a bus wearing big fake eyelashes, you know, like you see the cars riding (laughs) around (laughs) with the headlights and they've got the eyelashes on. Um, So it was a tube and a bus wearing big fake eyelashes, um, driving into giant mascara ones. Um, And it's a great attention grabbing idea. And I remember seeing it and I was like, wow, that's really cool. Um, But it's also quite dangerous if it were to actually be executed in real life. Mm. Um, and I don't think TFL would really go for it. No. Um, so like the question piece was kind of asking whether it was morally right for Adland to continue using mockups or CGI to execute creative ideas. Mm-hmm. Well, were there many sort of pros? I mean, what are people, you sort of said it's easier. Is it potentially cheaper as well for people? Is that kind of one of the... Yeah, I think so. I think... It was a bit of a mix. I feel like most people were kind of saying like, no, there's no harm in using mock-ups as long as people are honest about it and Mm. own up to the fact that it's it's a mock-up and it's not real. Um, And I think with the L'Oreal one, it was quite obvious. Well, I don't know. Was it quite obvious? I I didn't pick up on it. I was like, (laughs) I can't wait to see that. I think it was kind of like, in hindsight, it was like, actually, yeah, like... That's that can't really be done. Did you see the Barbie one in Dubai where she like steps out of like um? No, um, I saw that and I've. Still, what did she do? She it's like it's like Margot Robbie in the like black and white, you know, the swimsuit. Yeah, and then um, did you see the Barbie film? No, uh, I've right. still not seen, seen it. it. I still haven't seen Have it. you seen Oppenheimer? Uh, no, no. <laughs> Shame. I've been, I've been busy working. He's been busy in Seville. <laughs> been reading Russian novels. Been busy sometimes. doing your cave paintings. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but um, she like steps out of like a Mattel box, and I was, I was like, is that real? Is it not? I never bothered to find out. I think oh, I just okay. enjoyed it. All right. Well, if anyone's listening, can you find out if that was real or not, and let Shauna know. Um, yeah, there was kind of a mix. Um, and then there was one point um, that Nikki Billard made, um, who's the group chief creative officer at Mother Low Group. And she was pointing out that um, agencies should stop using mock-ups because there are plenty of like creatives and agencies out there who pitch creative ideas that don't go ahead and they choose not to pretend um, because maybe that's not the honest way to do things. And it, she was basically saying it's unfair on the agencies and creatives that just kind of um, have to put a creative idea to bed mm-hmm. um, and 
yeah, if there's others out there who are sort of making things happen just through mock-ups and not actually doing them, it's kind of unfair on the honest people, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think for me also as well, like my main feeling about that Maybelline giant mascara wand was disappointment that it wasn't real. And yeah. I don't think you want to inspire disappointment in the people that you want to buy your product. But maybe that's Mind me thinking you, though, too I think deep. After that ad went viral, a lot of people did buy that mascara. Yeah. So it does work. Did you buy it, Matt? I didn't buy it. No, I, I, don't, I don't. He wear hasn't that seen stuff. Oppenheimer. <laughs> he hasn't seen Barbie. He hasn't seen mascara. His lashes are just naturally luscious. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with my lashes. I, I, I get, you know. Um, <laughs> Moving on. So, I mean, is this all ingenious creativity, or are we on potentially dangerous ground here? Should should we um should we keep it real, as the kids say, Sean? Um, <laughs> I'm going to sit on the fence. Um, I'm a Libra. Like, <laughs> um, I think, like for me, it's that thing of like it does offer you the opportunity to be more creative, but um, simultaneously, there's that kind of feeling of like, oh, you couldn't go the whole way. And then also with the kind of like mock-ups as well, it's they're like, oh, it's important to have them in 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 situ. But yeah. it's like, well, if that's not real, then. I, I don't personally see the point in having it if it's not real because you don't know what it's actually going to be like in the environment because it's like if you can't actually place that ad in the specific place you've mocked it up, then yeah. it's not, I think, <laughs> um, then, yeah, then it's it's not an actual realistic imitation of it. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting point that you say you kind of feel like you've been diddled a bit when you find out it's not real, don't you? you kind I of felt think, thoroughly oh, I, diddled. I fell for that. So you, it, mm. straight away you got negative feelings about it. And, and, yeah, and yeah. Everything else. So, yeah, I mean, it's clever, but maybe they should be clever and say from the off. Yeah, I think so. Actually. Yeah. Makes our jobs a bit easier as well. When we, report on, when we report on things, um, just to make sure that like we know whether it actually happened or not. Because there was the gym box incident as well. Oh, yeah. Um, where they put the um, ads for aerial um, classes on top of buses, but they never actually did that. Yeah, um, So again, it's like a, it's a cool creative idea, but if it didn't actually happen, then I don't know, causing the question... Everything, everything. <laughs> Existential crisis in advertising. Yes. Um, so another big story this week was the stat that one in 10 agency staff has quit their job due to the stress of pitching. And we, we've covered the perils of the pitching process a fair bit over the past year or two, uh, particularly focusing on issues around well-being and stress. Um, and those are all stories that you can you can find on our website. Um, Shauna, what does this report have to say on the subject? Um, so the kind of like main headline that we went with anyway is that one in 10 people in Adland have left the company they work for due to the stress of pitching um, and also found that half of respondents reported like stress or burnout during the pitching process. Um, so I reported on this um, earlier this year, I think, for like a, a kind of like the pitch positive pledge feature, like one year on. Mm. Um, and I think some of the conclusions from that were that um, – Obviously, this isn't to put it all on the pitch positive pledge because it's not responsible for everyone's um, actions or whatever. But yeah. in terms of like what that pledge inspired was, you know, like this kind of like kind of galvanized people to be like, no, like we do need to look after each other and we do need to make sure everyone's okay. But when I was um, researching and interviewing for that piece, like people said that it had kind of fallen off a bit in terms of like how much it was at the forefront of people's minds. Like it was kind of like throughout the year, it kind of been forgotten. Um, and a lot of people thought that, you know, the, well, not a lot of people, the people I talked to, like, you know, thought that the rules need to be clearer, like it needs another push. 
in my in my opinion, maybe that's the case here. Like, there's a lot of instability in the market, um, which makes agencies more desperate for like clients and things like that. And so they push and push and push their people harder in a bid for like new business and a bit more stability in terms of their income. And um, it just kind of results in the same kind of culture that we had before. And I do think it would be hard to like ever get rid of that fully, mm-hmm. um, just because it's been in place for so long but i do think it just shows that that kind of pledge has been forgotten by people and that like you know those these like claims of like looking after each other's well-being isn't you know as sincere as we as they say it is sure charlotte anything to add on that just that i'm not really surprised um about that headline because the stress of pitching seems to be a very common theme that we report on yeah um and i guess going back to what shauna was saying about the pitch positive pledge and everything I think it says a lot that that part of the industry has had to have a whole pledge thought out to almost ensure that pitching doesn't get out of hand. And it goes to show the like the potential mental toll it can have on people. Yeah. Um, and I found this stat interesting, that 71% said that pitching remotely had opened up new opportunities and 54% said remote and hybrid working was making it easier to collaborate on pitches. Um, so it's like that's more of an argument to say that hybrid working shouldn't go anywhere and that it might be helping ease the stress of the process. Um, but equally, it also said 61% said it was more difficult to win business through a virtual pitch. Um, so I don't know, is that counterproductive? I don't know. It's a pickle. Yeah, it is a pickle. Channel 4 is to export content to audiences in the United States for the first time after signing a deal with uh, free ad-supported streaming platforms, Tubi, Plex and Zumo Play. No, anybody heard of those? I, I never I personally haven't. Now, I know the Great British Bake Off enjoys a loyal, if rather niche audience over on the other side of the Atlantic, but this is quite a big moment for Channel 4, isn't it, Charlotte? It is. um, Not that I have any, like, I haven't worked Channel 4, I don't know, but I think it is. (laughs) Speaking on behalf of Channel 4. Me personally, I think it's a huge moment for Channel 4. Um, But it's also good to see that there's a demand for, like, Channel 4's content in the US because it's great and it, like, deserves the hype. So, um, and I found it interesting that there are two channels that are going to be added to each of these platforms to kind of direct people to Channel 4 content. Um, And I think it shows where the demand is in the US for Channel 4's entertainment because the channels are for adventure, um, which will feature reality and documentary programs um, centred on outdoor survival challenges. So that's like Shipwrecked and The Island with Bear Grylls. Um, And then there's also For Emergency um, featuring programmes depicting the British healthcare system, which is well niche in my opinion um but yeah that's that's gonna it is um but that's gonna include shows like 24 hours in a&e which i know is really popular um if you go on twitter while that's showing everyone is tweeting about it so i I dip in and out (laughs) i've dabbled i've dabbled um but it's also quite a heavy program i think but i think that's why people like it because it's got i don't know slice of life and everything shauna big news (laughs) huge um i think with um you know, like after like ITVX, like that's been like a massive success. I think I'm kind of, we're kind of like looking at Channel Four and um, like Sky and seeing how you know those ad funded like TV models, like how they're gonna, you know, what their revenue streams are gonna look like in the next like five years, kind of thing. And I thought that Channel Four might follow suit because right now they're 
Um, I always call it 4 OD, but it's not 4 OD. It's not called that anymore, is it? But then it was hasn't all been called four. that for like 15 years. I know, but so. I always call it that. But then it, now, it, then it was all four, and now it's just Channel 4. Um, isn't it? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, that thought they like might follow suit with like a kind of ITVX style like rollout. But I didn't think that like that's like a possibility for them. We're kind of looking at like, you know, what they're going to be doing. Um, but it's just another example of them kind of like diversifying their revenue streams and also, I think a bit of a precursor to like more and more broadcasters like grouping together. Like, you know, there's so much choice now, but you know, like ITVX like has BritBox, which has like BBC content on. And I think it's just an example of maybe like the end end game where, you know, it ends up in kind of like a lot of them like grouping together because there's so much choice that everyone ends up being so spread out. It's just another example of diversifying revenue streams and kind of, yeah, broadcasters grouping together. Interesting that America will now know us for a bake-off and um, 24 hours in A&E, yeah. maybe, if that takes off <laughs> two ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Great stuff. Many thanks both. I'm now going to hand over to our tech editor, Cole Cripps, who's going to be discussing all things AR. We recently ran a story about We Are Social's launch of Make My Day, an agency that will be completely dedicated to producing augmented reality campaigns for global brands and helping them learn more about how they can leverage the technology. It will be fronted by former Snap director Will Skoogle, who was responsible for overseeing Snap's launch of its AR offerings, which for those who are aware and have tried one of its fun filters are one of its flagship features. Uh, While AR has been around for some time now, obviously getting tractions from platforms like Snap and Pokemon Go, which many of us have also enjoyed at some point over the last five, six years, AR saw a spike in popularity over the pandemic, uh, particularly with things like virtual try-ons as people weren't able to shop in person. Um, The technology's market volume is now projected to reach over 11 billion US in 2023. I'm really excited as Will is joining us today, along with two other experts who are also at the forefront of AR, and they've worked with a long list of major brands, ranging from Spotify, Google, Twitch, Coca-Cola, and Meta. Uh, We have Isabel Perry, who is Vice President of Emerging Technology at Depth, and Rosh Singh, who is Managing Director at Unit9. Uh, Hey, guys. How are we doing today? Hi, Coral. Really well, thank you. Good, thanks, Coral. Great to be here. Awesome. Um... I'm first going to start off by asking Will, I understand you've just helped launch Make My Day, um, and I outlined what its key objectives are. You're going to focus on launching AR activations for global brands. Why do you think creating an entire agency dedicated to AR was necessary? So first of all, thanks very much for having me on, Coral. Really appreciate it. And certainly to be invited along with such industry luminaries as Roche and Izzy. Um, I think augmented reality and increasingly, as I think about it, the augmented audience is one of the fastest growing and most important opportunities in advertising today. But there is a huge amount of confusion around it. And and rightly so, to a certain degree, it's been emerging really rapidly. There's a lot going on in everyone's lives, in marketers' lives, creatives' lives, planners' lives. There's a lot for us to get our head around. But Any brand that's having a problem with salience among a young audience, anyone got a brief like that on their table? Um, Any brand that's struggling to gain attention and build consideration, any brand that's looking to add a layer of incremental performance um, should be thinking about augmented reality. Um, That's why we felt there was a space for an agency to specialize, to help remove some of the complexity from AR and make it easier for brands to connect with what I believe to be 
the most, if not one of the most, engaged audiences on mobile. And that, that's important for a couple of reasons. If I can just expand on it a little bit, I think everything that we know makes great, effective advertising. The need for intelligent, uh, a need for attention, um, relevance, contextual, personal relevance. So attention, relevance, scale, the ability to deliver that at scale exists in augmented reality in abundance. And yet some of those things are the things we talk about as being diminishing in other channels and in, in, in other areas that we can traditionally think of as, as paths through to, to reaching an objective. Um, and it's still yet really relatively misunderstood and, and perceived as being expensive or complex. Um, and like I said, you can't really bl blame people for that, but we really did feel that with the scale of growth, um, the number of people using augmented reality, the investment that we're seeing from platforms, the investment that we're seeing from hardware uh, companies, there really was an opportunity for an agency that was singularly focused on augmented reality. So we can be of the most help to our brand partners to bring that layer of incrementality, that incremental brilliance to what they're already doing. Awesome. And after over seven years at Snap, which is obviously one of the world's leading adopters of AR right now, you're obviously quite well positioned to guide clients in using the technology to produce unique and very engaging campaigns. Um, so to extend all of the things you just highlighted, what do you think your key learnings were from working with brands on that platform? It's a great question. I think I've learned a lot, certainly. I think the main the main thing I've learned, and actually I learned this quite early on in my career, and it became more pronounced at Snap and it more pronounced at Twitter before that as well, but certainly at Snap. And that's the idea that brands buy belief in people as much as they buy belief in ideas. And when you're working in a space where there's constant innovation and you're asking brands to come along with you on a journey where there's no proof of concept case study, which is very much the case when we were launching things like vertical video and stories and, and augmented reality at Snap and, and, and other formats at, at Twitter as well. Really what, what brands are buying into is, is, yes, the idea, and it's relatively easy to make a new innovative thing sound exciting because it's new and innovative. But ultimately what it comes down to is brands are buying belief in the ability of people, your people, your team, to deliver on what they're saying they can deliver on. And while it might sound a bit cliche, although I hope it doesn't, I really do believe, certainly in, in creative businesses, advertising businesses, people are the, the greatest asset. And with that, there's a responsibility for you to not just create, but be a part of making a safe environment, a creative culture, a space where people feel that they are supported and have the necessary infrastructure to do the best work of their lives uh, and to build strong partnerships. Um, so that would be that would be the main thing I learned, I think. Awesome. Great learnings, definitely. Um, Isabel, Dept also has a dedicated team of AR specialists who are working to help major brands provide retail and e-commerce experiences. Uh, can you explain how your team approaches building your AR strategies and talk a bit about how you've helped marketers reach their consumers so far? And if you're able to, are you able to give some examples of campaigns you've worked on? Yeah, of course. And yeah, thanks again for having me on the podcast and great to see you all. Um, we've been developing uh, AR experiences for over six years, pretty much as soon as the Snapchat Lens Studio opened up, we jumped on it and we were very proud to be one of the first um, 
partners for both Snapchat and TikTok. And we're now one of the top 1% TikTok effect creators in the world. So we certainly have a lot of learnings in this space. And I think that a few of the um, most important uh, things to consider when you're working out what your advertising strategy is, is where they are, is that this has to be a platform first experience and one AR lens or effect or filter is not the same across different um, placements. So what we find is that on Snapchat, uh, which has the most advanced features and is sort of like a playground for our creative technologists, product try-on obviously works very well and a little bit of gamification works very well. But what if you really want to drive really good results on Snapchat, then it's about creating multi-person face morphs that make people look hot or make people laugh or tell a story or express something and, and enhance something authentic about them. Whereas on TikTok, it's actually all about giving people tools for creating content. So we still find things like the randomizers or personality insights really, really overperform. And things like beautifiers and gamified lenses just completely underperform on that platform. And then lastly, on Instagram and Facebook, it's actually still all about trying to make people look sort of more beautiful and um, and actually that's an oversimplification, but it uh, drives very good results. And then in terms of the work that we're actually doing for clients, we regularly drive over 100 million views or 200 million views on some of these lenses. But what's more interesting is comparing how these um, lenses perform compared to other platform placements or even the same platform, but different formats. And for one of our um, food delivery clients, for example, that we've been working with for over seven years, we have an always-on AR campaign, and we see that the cost per order for AR on Snapchat is around a third of the cost per order for the average Snapchat benchmark. Similarly, if you look at ads on Meta, which was only just recently released as a feature, we can see that the cost per order for AR experiences on Meta that aren't even optimized for orders are around half the cost per order of other Meta placements. And so I think that's the amazing thing about AR is that people aren't measuring it for performance enough. They're, they're thinking of it as an engagement strategy or a uh, awareness strategy. And it's funny because I think Will just highlighted this uh, as well, but um, in a recent conversation we had um, where we were discussing depth games, you had shared with me that you thought AR was an underrated form of technology that's not being talked about enough in the advertising world. Um, why do you think this is? And, uh, you know, as someone with your expertise, what would you like to hear advertisers talking about more? Yeah, I do think it's underrated. And on a purely numbers basis, when I look at the media budget allocation at Dept, um, compared to the way that AR performs, I think there's clearly a discrepancy there. And I think that that has, ha that has happened because people think it's expensive to produce, but I think that's miscomparing it to sort of performance ads. Whereas actually, if you compare it to the cost of running a video shoot, it's a significantly more cost effective. I think it's also because Meta's only recently introduced the AR ad format, and that is a real market maker. And I think that will um, change the, um, the landscape. TikTok filters have been incredibly expensive to buy over the past few years, so which has also been a barrier to adoption. And then also, I do have a bit of an instinct that media planners and buyers might just not be regular users themselves. And so they are, they have a misconception that it's for entertainment and not their audience. And lastly, actually, because um, creative and design teams in a typical advertising agency 
will not be coming up with the most effective AR ideas and able to build them cost effectively. Because as Will said, it is still a very specialist skill set and you do need dedicated people that really get the technology and how to make the ideas work for different platforms. Um, but it's absolutely changing. Um, and, and it's really exciting to see companies like Make My Day launch because it's sort of, sort of flag in the ground that people have misconceptions about this space. Really, really good points. Really interesting. I'm going to circle back to one of your points in a bit when I get to the uh, next questions I have. But I first want to ask Rosh. Uh, I know that Unit 9 has also been behind several AR campaigns for major brands. Um, you've worked with Coca-Cola, Samsung, Meta, uh, Lego, um, and you've even worked with Elton John, which I think is really fun. Um Elton John's really at the forefront of tech because he's also done a Roblox concert. I just had to add that. I think uh, whoever's working with Elton John is really on the ball. Um, but can you uh, talk about how Unit 9 approaches their AR strategies and uh, discuss a couple of your favorite campaigns that you've worked on in the last year? Yeah, I guess, you know, slightly different um, to Isabel and Will. I think we approach it less from an advertising format um, kind of perspective and more from an experience design perspective. How do we create amazing experiences on the new emerging formats of our time and ar is definitely one of them um and for us it's kind of what what does ar do that you can't do in any other medium in any other way um and you know <laughs> to, to pick my favorites which is really difficult you know from building the world's first augmented reality dress to turning Wembley stadium into a multiplayer foosball pitch i think when i when i when i think about this the thing that I really focus on is um, how AR has been used to deliver utility, um, to do something in a new way that other mediums can't do. Um, and, you know, I think the one emergent favorite that always comes out is um, a project called Moonshot that we did for the JFK Foundation uh, to mark the 50th anniversary of the moon landings. And we thought, right, TV was the emergent um, platform of its time. What is the emergent platform of our time 50 years later? It is AR. So let's recreate that experience, which was kind of everyone gather around the TV and experience this thing together. Um, and let's recreate that using AR. And we approached it, you know, not from a technical perspective, but more from a directorial perspective. Like, how do we create a documentary using augmented reality? We had access to all of the archives. And we created this amazing experience where you could you know, gamify elements of the rocket so people could learn about, um, you know, how this thing went out there. But you could also launch a um, full scale or tabletop version of the rocket, press launch, and in real time, you could track its journey to the moon and back. It was intersected with all of the archive um, from the JFK um, kind of um, archive. And one of the amazing things was watching videos of families, grandparents, parents, and children in their garden launching these um, rockets with their, you know, with their iPads and their phones. And, you know, just having that ability to cross the generations with new technology for me is hugely important. Um, and then if I had to pick another one, I think, you know, we, we just did a, um, a project with Verizon and the Met in New York. Um, where we created an augmented reality kind of gamified wayfinding experience where, you know, we challenged a bunch of um, young people um, for an app that we built to unlock different um, elements throughout the museum. There's an educational layer to it as well. So you could see the item in 3D. We, we created everything, you know, they could learn about it, but it also took them on a tour around the museum and kind of exposed them to a lot of the artwork they hadn't all, or uh, that they wouldn't normally see. 
But then once they'd unlock the item in the real world in the museum, that item would become available as a piece of um, content within a Roblox experience we all or, or also made. So we got to kind of bridge the physical and the digital worlds together um, to create an experience. And AR was really the core of it because those assets really came to life through, um, through AR. Very cool work. Um, I was wondering if you could also talk about a recent campaign you did with Google, Ocean Outdoor and Taito to celebrate Space Invaders' 45th anniversary. Uh, so I understand that uh, it involved a display at London's Westfield Mall, but also involved AR. Um, could you talk a bit more about that? Because I thought this one was was awesome. Yeah, I mean, to be asked to recreate Space Invaders using AR is probably the dream brief. And, you know, um, we're very, very, um, very lucky to be involved in that one. But, you know, we work with Google with their geospatial tech. Um, and, you know, I think we've seen this before. Snap had landmarkers. Um, Niantic have um, a thing called VPS. But the ability to anchor digital items in the real world that are persistent, that are always there, is a huge game changer. Um, the geospatial API, which is part of the AR, um, the AR core um, suite of tools, basically allows us to hook into Google Maps data to position, you know, digital AR items in the real world. So we basically turn the entire world at a scale that's never been done before into a, a space invaders, um, a space invaders kind of um, level, right? And you could use the buildings and the geometry around you. You could play a game. It wasn't just your phone in the air looking at buildings because. People don't want to play games like that all the time. Um, you know, it, you know there, there was a lot of phone down moments as well. Um, and yeah, it just to be able to recreate again, you know, an IP or, you know, an experience from the past using today's technology is for me what AR is all about. And, you know, I've loved augmented reality. I said since, since I first saw the Terminator as a kid and his eyes were basically the first set of AR glasses that I ever saw. And there was a moment within that experience as we were building it, where I went, oh my God, we're here. This is a point that, you know, I, I've been waiting for um, pro probably my entire career. When you saw through your phone, the entire physical world around you, no matter where you were, turn into a Space Invaders kind of geometric space, but all the buildings were preserved in it. And you saw this transition, this wipe, and it just, it felt like we're on the precipice now of kind of the AR era. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think we are definitely getting closer closer to that with uh, with things like that. Um, really, really cool work. Uh, thanks for talking more about it. Um, Jim Coleman, who's the CEO of We Are Social, he says that AR is the fastest growing digital format, and he thinks it'll have a transformative effect on the entire marketing ecosystem. Can each of you explain to our listeners why this might be true? I think if you step back a little, uh, People are spending more time online. That's sort of um, indisputable, which means that digital experiences are increasingly valuable and where marketers will be playing. But if you think about the evolution of the internet, we have been cycling through different content formats over the last 30 years or I guess 50 years. And that's basically evolved from text to image to video. And I think it's almost... Um, unarguable that the next dominant content format will be 3D. And given AR is that intersection, which Rosh like, very beautifully described, of that intersection of physical reality and virtual reality, there's almost no way in which AR isn't the most important next format online. And therefore, 
it will be a game changer in the way that um, advertisers are um, behaving because advertisers always mimic the way that society is spending its time and where they're spending their time. I'll just um, I'll, I'll jump in and build on that a little bit. Uh, so totally agree with it with Izzy. Advertisers need to be where people are because they need people's attention in order to communicate whatever message it is to drive whatever action it is they want to drive. That's the sort of simple formula. But um, even when we, we look, taking another step back, looking at what companies are doing, the level of investment we're seeing in AR from businesses like Apple, Snap, uh, Meta, TikTok, um, all of these platforms and businesses are seeing that the more that they invest in AR drives in, in more time spent um, by people, um, which I think in, in, in itself creates, uh, uh, obviously creates um, uh, growth in, in audience and, and, and in experience. So even if we look at data from businesses like, well, data businesses like Statista or eMarketer, we can see that the compounded annual growth rate for AR is projected at somewhere between 30 to 50% over the next 10 years. Um, and I think with, with Jim's stat, um, just to kind of add, add a layer to, to that, I think it's the fastest growing format behind mobile video. So if we look at the digital advertising market as a whole, look at the size of SEO and, and the level of growth that is happening in SEO, which is, is relatively stagnant in, in terms of exponential growth, but actually the really rapid growth is coming in digital video, in particular mobile video, and behind that is augmented reality. Um, and in a large part, that's because of, as Izzy said, the, the time spent by people on platforms using, playing with AR. Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that. I think, you know, from our perspective, augmented reality will become the operating system that we all interact with, right? That it is going to be the medium through which we, you know, perceive all of the information that we currently get through the internet, right? And it may not come as quickly as a lot of kind of tech utopians think, but I think, you know, there's a convergence of lots of different things happening at the moment that point us in that direction of a kind of a fully wearable, fully functioning AR device that will replace our mobile telephones. I think that is the vision that so many, um, you know, entrepreneurs and tech companies have at the moment. And I think you, you're seeing, um, as as, as um, Isabel and, and Will said, a lot of investment in that direction. Um, you know, I don't think it will come in the next five years. I think the Apple Vision Pro is a really good step into that direction. I think a lot of the work Meta is doing, yeah, a beautiful kind of, um, you know, proof cases that, th that this is the direction they're going in. Um, for me, it's super important to be across all of this stuff when it comes um, to thinking about how your brand interacts with the world, how it interacts with the people who are genuinely interested, interested in these things. I think we, as an industry, get too caught up on what is shiny and new. And, you know, as soon as the hype drops off, as an industry, we just go, okay, augmented reality, that's old, let's leave it behind, or it's just puppy filters, let's leave it behind. But actually, if we take a step back, you know, this is transformational. And even the smallest bit of interaction and learning, testing and learning from a brand perspective, puts you ahead of your competition. And for me, you know, that is the direction that we're moving into. And if we're not at least, you know, understanding the technological elements that are required here, how to create your brand in 3D, how to immerse your audiences in 3D environments, how your business looks through, throughout this lens, um, you know, there is a chance that, um, you know, we're, we're going to get left behind. 
Yeah, I totally agree. But I, and I think the flip side of that is it comes with this unbelievable intersection of like a playground of new features released at a scale it's almost impossible to keep up with. And this amazing position where if you do, um, if you are a brand that is um, excited by that and happy to experiment with that, there's such powerful first mover advantage still. And it's not like, <laughs> like it's not like that first mover advantage has been and gone in 2017. It is constant. It's like every three months. Um, and with the geospatial um, technology, I think that the Gorillas concert in Times Square, which I think was maybe in February earlier this year, was still one of the most magical pieces of content I've ever seen. Um, and I think that AR has the ability to make people feel like they've seen magic in a way that no other no other experience um, online or offline can do. I, I totally agree. I agree with that. Um, and I, I would say that there is this, this convergence of the idea of extended reality, mixed reality, augmented reality. All of the realities are becoming a reality and the reality is spatial computing. And that's, that's, where, that's where we're headed. But there are, there are reality, there are, those realities exist today in a way that they won't necessarily exist in 5, 10, 20 years but that, as Izzy said, you can put the gorillas in Times Square and put on a gig, but you can also bring your brand to life in someone's handset in a way that you haven't been able to before. And you can do those things today and you can do them today and at scale and in ways that are cost efficient, the ways that are targeted, ways where you can build proper digital marketing rigor into what you're doing as opposed to just going for the top funnel magic. And I think that's the tipping point that we're really at now, where we're starting to see marketers be able to really market to their audience using augmented reality. Um, and we're, we're at a really, really exciting time. And just on that, I think that AR major I, mean, I don't know is the funnel a real thing i don't know but if it is ar could also just completely flatten the funnel because you can do the awareness because it's an ad you can do the engagement because people are interacting with it and you can do the conversion because you're literally just trying on that item in the ar lens and converting there and then um isabel i wanted to revisit something that you highlighted which was that uh you noticed a trend that not all advertisers think ar suits their audience um, and this is not the first time I've heard that. Um, I've also heard comments about um, AR maybe only being suitable for younger audiences, uh, especially if people draw a correlation between uh, AR and games like Pokemon Go or uh, Snapchat filters, which they associate with also with younger audiences. Um, what would any of you say to advertisers who don't see use cases for older users or who don't understand how things like virtual try-ons could benefit wider demographics? Well, I think it's really important to be quite open-minded that AR is obviously, it could be web AR, it could be in apps, it could be in social. And two of the um, areas that I think are um, lovely for any age are using AR as a way of connecting families, so intergenerational experiences. And we developed a an app, which was a, for Sesame Street, which was a cookie monster cooking app, where the cookie monster was in AR and was helping 
talk through the different steps of a recipe um, so that children and parents could cook together. And that has been one of the Apple's app of the day over many years around the world, because it's just an example of um, taking something that families have historically enjoyed doing together and augmenting that experience for them. And then another area that I think, so I studied architecture, so I think I'm particularly interested in this, is just the way in which we will be able to use AR to transform architecture and property development and interior design. And I mean, it's the, if you think of the cliche, a picture says a thousand words, then a 3D model rented into the space around you is practically a book and it will completely transform that entire industry and also get people to a result that they're a lot happier with. And in the same way that being able to try products on virtually, you're going to have a hell of a lot less returns of those clothes. I think that um, AR will help people buy things that they want and are happier with in the long term. Anyone else have anything to add? I just want to build on something that Izzy said like that, that element of kind of utility and building like real purpose through the experience is something that we, you know, we're incredibly um, keen on as well. And, you know, we have a, um, a, a, a sub company called Hypo, which is all around using augmented reality to build high end interiors, whether it's the, um, you know, a, the, inter- the inside of a super yacht or the, a spaceport or a high-end luxury car. Um, we've used AR to basically um, change the prototyping um, kind of um, workflow where you don't have to build multiple physical models. You can go in, um, use AR to see different colors, see different um, utilizations of the space. Um, and it's an incredibly high-end um, experience designed for high net worth individuals that does that thing that Izzy says. It, like, it paints more than a thousand words is experiential, right? You're not looking at a picture, you're having an experience and AR is the, is the gateway um, to that. And I think we are quite often, you know, jaded by a lot of the, um, you know, uh, I guess a lot of the, um, the filter element of AR, everyone thinks that that is all all AR is. And the fil- filters are amazing and Snap and Will was a bit of, probably a, a big part of that where you know, just absolutely changed the game right you know it's the thing that pushed adoption but you know being able to you know see your kitchen in your house as you're doing a construction project is absolutely incredible and you know it might not be what people think of as an ar experience but it, that's what the technology that's you know that that is the backbone of those experiences what Izzy and Wash have both touched on is the idea of augmented reality outside of media and advertising. And I think that what a lot of people actually aren't aware of is they're experiencing AR every day in lots of different ways. Education, healthcare being two examples of where either end of the age demographic are impacted um, beneficially from augmented reality. And then if you just kind of take it right back to advertising, some of the things that Izzy and Wash have both brought up is the idea of augmented reality bringing age demographics together in joined experience, whether that's launching a rocket from an iPad or uh, cooking um, with the Cookie Monster. Both of those are ways for brands to turn up in people's lives in ways that they haven't really been able to at scale before. To be able to be a part of a cooking experience in someone's kitchen um, or to be able to be a part of an education experience launching a rocket um, are things that really you've you've thought of as kind of quite one-to-one kind of experiential activations previously. But now with augmented reality, we're able to bring people together in totally new ways. Um, and it's not, for me, it's not really 
demographic specific. And given what we know to be successful so far, how do each of you see the AR industry growing from here? And what else do you think marketers should know? Like I said, the world is a really complex place. And part of the idea behind Make My Day is is really about how we turn up in people's lives, not just how we turn up for each other at work, but how we turn up for our brand partners and how we help them turn up for the people that they want to communicate with. And that is why we are really singularly focused on removing the complexity from augmented reality, because we do understand that in some marketing departments, there are marketers that don't really know what augmented reality is, not because they don't want to, but possibly they just don't have the capacity within their day to day to really get under the skin of it. And really what I'd invite all of those people to do is to take a step back and ask themselves, well, what's important to me? What's important to me is that my brand is where my audience is. And overwhelmingly, at the moment, a new younger audience, younger demographic, not specifically, but for the majority, is spending time paying attention, choosing to pay attention in augmented reality and experiencing brands in ways that they haven't really been able to before. And like I say, at scale. Um, And they're doing that on some of the biggest platforms in the world and some of the platforms where we instinctively go to put our video. So why shouldn't we be putting our augmented reality there as well? So if we strip it all back, just don't be intimidated by augmented reality. The fundamentals of what makes great advertising, great marketing, whether it's bringing magic into people's lives or whether it's bringing utility into people's lives, whether it's turning up in a way that really adds value, augmented reality and the opportunity to do that exists in abundance in that space. And I really do think that, you know, there's a slightly outdated idea that brands need to disrupt to get people's attention. And I think that maybe five, 10 years ago, that was possibly the case. But I think what people are looking for now is brands to turn up in a way that adds value, that shows that they are contributing members of society Um, that they have good intentions and good values. And again, I think that AR is a particularly good format to complement all others when it comes to communicating those ideas. So answering both in one, um, I think I'm not cynical, but I don't think that AR has to be (laughs) a way of turning up in a purposeful way. I think it's enough to show up in a way which gives space to your customers instead of asking for a lot of attention for the brand and putting the brand uh, in too dominant a position in the experience. We make a lot of organic lenses just from depth. Um, And so, for example, our head of creative technology has over 3.1 billion views of his own personal lenses. It's It's a team that is experimenting all the time about working about what what works well in AR Um, and the most important thing is to think about this as a collaborative uh, experience that you're creating and the AR lens effect filter whatever you want to call it isn't finished until someone's using it and that's a perception shift in the way that you're thinking about this for most brands because they want to create um, something which is a finished piece (laughs) And I think uh, that's definitely one piece of advice that I can give companies thinking about this. And then in terms of what I maybe am most excited about and where I think we're going, it really is all about the geospatial or, you know, different platforms have different ways of describing it. But 
using um, AR within the built environment in a way which is sensitive to what's already there is the future of the most impactful experiences and the most useful experiences and the most um, creative experiences. I would say I think the one thing that we try and advise our clients away from doing is what we call tech for tech's sake and just seeing something and wanting to do it. Um, you know, we, we're big kind of pushes of, you know, a, a test and learn strategy, making sure that anything that's done, no matter how, you know, small on the outside it may seem is incredibly intentional to a long-term plan. Um, so, you know, we spend a lot, a lot of time kind of doing um, technology consultancy with quite a lot of our clients. And, you know, we build a long-term roadmap. We go, okay, this is how we see technology as a, as a, as a joint group evolving over the future. This is what we think is going to be the important things that will affect your business. This is how we think it will affect your business and how we want to be using it and how it affects your audience or your product or your internal comms, whatever it might be. Um, and we start roadmapping against it. And, you know, the, the beginning step might be a social lens or a social game, but that ladders into a much longer term strategy. Um, so the learnings from one step can be taken to the next step. So we're always evolving. We make sure that, you know, when the technology landscape changes, we are, you know, we're not having to start again. We can pivot into the direction and things are moving. Um, but for me, it's just to be a little bit more intentional across a long-term horizon um, rather than focusing on here and now, which is important. Obviously, you have to focus on now because that's a lot, what a lot of our jobs are, but making sure that there is that vision into the future. All right. Well, that's a wrap. And that's all we have time for today. Um, of course, special thanks again to our guests, Will Google, Isabel Perry and Rosh Singh. You guys have all been great. If you'd like to learn more about what we've been discussing today, please visit our website at campaignlive.co.uk. Details of our subscriptions are available at campaignlive.co.uk forward slash membership. If you enjoyed this episode of the Campaign Podcast, please follow us, like us, and leave a review whenever you listen to our podcast. And of course, a big thank you to Haymarket Studio Manager and our producer, Ian Lyons, from Rethink Audio. And thank you for listening. I hope you'll join us next time. On behalf of the Campaign team, goodbye. <laughs>